welcome to episode three of the Amadeus Payments podcast. You're listening to part one of a two-parter where we dive into virtual cards, a hot topic within the payment space in travel and beyond. In this episode, our experts explore a range of themes associated with virtual cards. We smash some of the common misconceptions associated with this flexible payment method and also discuss how virtual cards could help travel brands on their journey to recovery. For this episode, we were joined by Amadeus Payments' very own Head of Payer Services, Damien Alonso, as well as Kevin White, Director of Enterprise Partnerships for Travel Industry at MasterCard, Thomas Heldorf, WillPay's VP of Airlines and Travel Vertical Strategy, and also Pedro Menendez de la Cuesta, Head of Treasury and Payment Methods at Destinia. This session was recorded on May the 27th, 2021. If you'd like to learn more about any of the topics covered in this session, make sure to download our accompanying report, Accelerating the Virtual Road to Recovery, How Payments Innovation Helps Travel Companies Bounce Back. You can access the link to the report in the podcast description. I'll be back at the end to talk a bit about part two, which is also available right now. But until then, here's Damien. Pleasure uh, to be with you all today. So thanks very much for joining. My name is, as I said, mentioned is Damien Alonso. I'm the head of the payer services business side here at Amadeus. So uh, essentially responsible for our B2B payment offering globally uh, to our customer base. As I said, mentioned, I do want to reiterate this. We'd like to make this interactive, uh, this session as interactive as possible. So please do send your questions in through the chat uh, or raise your hand as, as I said, mentioned, because uh, you know, we do like we would like to make this as interactive as possible. So I'm extremely excited to be joined uh, in this afternoon's fireside chat uh, with a fantastic panel of experts who I'll, get to, uh, who I'll introduce in a moment to discuss the findings of, uh, of the research that we commissioned earlier this year. Now, um, as part of that research, uh, which included uh, interviews with over 150 international airlines, travel agencies, and major hotel chains, uh, we conducted the research really to understand two things. Firstly, um, uh, you know, to understand if there had been any structural changes in the way payments uh, are being managed in the industry today. And secondly, if the dynamics had changed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so essentially the research, for those who haven't had the chance to, to go through the findings of the research uh, yet, and I think in a moment you'll see a QR code Hopefully we'll be appearing on screen. There it is, uh, right on cue. So if you haven't had a chance to have a look at the report, I do strongly recommend you know, take out your mobile phone and scan the QR code, and then that should hopefully take you to a page where you can download your own personal copy. Uh, but essentially there were four main conclusions we found um, in the research. And one is, uh, the first one is, it probably comes as, as no surprise. You know, I think obviously all the travel businesses um, over the past decade have been very focused on you know, customer acquisition, on loyalty and revenue growth. Um, but consequently, um, unfortunately, the, the operational cracks and inefficiencies, particularly when it comes to B2B payments, whether you're accepting or whether you're paying out on, the, on, on either side of the, of the value chain, have unfortunately been left uh, unchecked. Um, and COVID-19, of course, has, has changed that. It's brought those existing challenges to the fore, as well as creating many new ones. And obviously, as travel businesses, as as um, as as we continue to go through the pandemic and 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 uh, as we continue to to ride the wave of COVID, obviously maintaining liquidity and cash flow are probably now more important than ever uh, than ever before. So that's something that the research found. Um, point number one, I said, probably no surprise to to people here on the call. Number two is that the research also called out or found compelling evidence that B two B payment strategies have to change or actually have to be created and and and, uh, and adopted uh, and adapted. Um, and showcases, for example, the importance of, of how virtual cards can play a role in that um, in that B2B payment strategy. It also provides new opportunities to rethink um, our payment strategies as we as you know as we as an industry we rebuild um, in readiness and of return of uh, return of demand. And and you know perhaps surprisingly to to some on the call, when we looked at um, the value of virtual cards from the three different groups that I mentioned earlier in terms of um, you know travel agencies, international airlines, and hotel chains. All sides um, have recognized the, uh, the benefit of virtual cards um, across all three areas. So that's, um, I think now that at least the technology um, in that regard, in terms of the research as such, found that to, to be positive across all, all sides of the value chain. Thirdly, um, the third finding I would say is optimizing the way we pay suppliers and managing risk has become very important now. 
Um, so perhaps, you know, there are technologies out there, for example, um, you know, for example, like uh, virtual cars, which have the uh, obviously part of the uh, insurance piece uh, built in. Um, and that has been very important to our respondents in terms of how they use that type of technology when managing risk. Of course, it's, it's, uh, it may not be useful in all situations, but basically the, the summary in the research found that investing in and executing the right B2B payment strategy is key for success, in particular now how, um, in particular now as there may be more suppliers that we are paying um, that may that uh, <clears throat> you know that may have a risk burden that we need to consider when paying. Um, so that's the third area, and the fourth area is around um, a sort of introducing, and I think what came out in the research findings as well is is a need for a dialogue around the importance of B two B payments. Um, you know, and, and as an industry, you know, we need to debunk some of the misconceptions that came through, and we'll talk about those a little bit later on today in the chat. But around the misconceptions that perhaps are holding innovation back, um, you know, including the use of virtual cards, but other forms of payments. Um, and I'd say, you know, 2020 was a, a bit of a watershed moment with, you know, more choice of virtual cards on the market than ever before. You know, with new products released by MasterCard, which I'm sure Kevin will touch on in a moment, as well as by Visa. Um, and, you know, obviously all that choice provides all parties in the value chain uh, the chance to adapt um, to the different types of virtual cards, depending on the supplier that uh, that is being paid. So as we mentioned earlier, as, as came up in the, in the third area before, you know, and again, our um, parties using virtual cards to pay the supply should also ignore the risk of default of services not provided. So that's something in particular um, that has come up in the research. So in summary, um, as part of this final point, uh, the four misconceptions that are holding back innovation, and, and we'll go through those in a moment. Um, so as, as we mentioned earlier, you know, the report that you can see here, uh, you can see the, the QR code here on screen does dive in a little bit more into detail than what I've just mentioned. So again, I do strongly recommend you download a copy of the findings. Um, and I think importantly, it offers some simple steps that um, all parties in the value chain, whether it be airlines, hotels, or, or travel agencies, um, can take to make sure, you know, we're all ready to optimize uh, B2B payments for the future. Um, so the scope of the fireside chat today will be to discuss these findings with the panel of experts that, uh, that are with me. So without further ado, let's formally introduce our speakers um, to continue the discussion. Um, so please, could I ask, uh, Pedro, could I ask you please to introduce yourself? And also, I forgot to say a fun fact. So I've asked everybody to introduce themselves and also provide a, a fun fact. Um, so Pedro, over to you. Hi, everybody. I'm Pedro Menendez de la Cuesta. I'm Head of Treasury and Payment Methods at Destinia. And a fun fact about me uh, is it will be that we're really related with the topic here because I'm, a, I'm really passionate about traveling. Um, I love to travel. Um, the, the way I used to, to remember things, I mean, I used to remember the places uh, I've been, is I keep a bill of every country. I, um, I go by. Uh, I think this is quite common, but probably uh, the uncommon thing about this is I also keep a receipt of every country for some dinner or some lunch that I have in order to understand the value of the of this currency there. Uh, yeah, so that would be. Thank you, Pedro. And I think, yeah, if we even need any VAT, uh, if you want to ask, ask how receipts are made and VAT is included in different countries, I know who to speak to. So thank you, Pedro. Uh, Thomas? Yeah, hello, afternoon. Thomas. I'm the Vice President for Airlines and Travel and Hospitality now as well in WorldPay. I look after a portfolio of about 100 airlines and uh, hundreds of travel and hospitality providers. Um, and thanks for the invitation. Oh yeah, the fun fact, um, as a teenager, I used to collect uh, frequent flyer cards. Um, not that I flew with most of those airlines, but I loved the little cards and uh, just signed up every single one of them I could find a flyer and signed up for. So I probably had more frequent flyer cards than, than I definitely more than I have at the moment. Fantastic. Okay, thank you very much, Thomas and Kevin. Hi, everybody. So my name is Kevin White. So I'm from MasterCard. Um, I'm responsible for strategic um, pay B2B payments partnerships in the travel industry. Um, I've been at MasterCard for just almost seven years now. And prior to that, spent 14 years in the travel industry. Uh, fun fact, um, I'm not sure if it's, it's very fun, but, um, but I'm a keen amateur carpenter. So I'm halfway through building my own uh, garden furniture at the moment. So, um, so yeah, my second career. 
Thank you, Kevin. And I think I may join your fun fact slash, uh, or maybe not so fun, is as an amateur gardener, I'm in the process of building up my, <laughs> my veggie patch um, at home. So if anyone has any tips to make sure the tomatoes grow over the summer, please let me know. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for joining me. And and look, let's get uh, let's start off with the first topic um, that we had on uh, that uh, it's one of the key findings that came out in the research. And perhaps there's no surprise, as we mentioned earlier, you know, obviously staying profitable is now the biggest challenges that, uh, that travel businesses are facing. Um, and obviously forcing, uh, say forcing them to consider the bottom line impact of their B2B payment choices more than, more than ever before. So perhaps starting, starting with you, Kevin, if I may, now what's your view about this finding and, and how do you think perhaps payment innovation can help travel businesses in achieving profitability? Sure. So um, I guess what I would say is, you know, even when I was working for um, a travel agency back in the early 2000s, profitability was always there as one of the main challenges. But I think now, um, especially through the pandemic, I think yeah, completely see why it's uh, the number one challenge today. And just going back to the pandemic, I think it's, it's highlighted um, the issues around legacy B2B uh, payment processes today. So, you know, a lot of companies have been finding that they're, they're fighting for survival with, you know, long settlement periods, minimal automation and um, unprecedented risk in these times. But when we hear a lot around uh, the new normal um, as we come out of the pandemic, and I think for the travel industry, that means it's a realization that we can't go back to the way that we were doing business before. So I think that's, that's what's needed, a, a kind of a fresh look. And I think that's where the innovation part has been, will come in. Um, as, as we move out of it. But, um, but that's exactly what we've been doing at MasterCard. So um, as you meant, you alluded to before, Damien, you know, the, the new kind of pricing tiers. So we've now got flexible pricing, which essentially enables the industry to come together um, to mutually agree on, um, you know, the, the terms of which doing business, which means that, you know, everyone can capture the opportunities for growth um, as possible as we move forward. Great. Thank you, Kevin. And Pedro, what are your thoughts on, on this topic? Yes, well, as, uh, I think that uh, as we all know, pandemic, the pandemic has impacted everyone uh, so much, but the travel industry is one of the most affected industries here because of this. Uh, as, uh, we as a travel agency, and I think all travel agencies connected will have the same problem. Through the first month of the pandemic, we our main problem was the cash flow problem. Due to the unprecedented uh, cancellations, uh, the amount of cancellations, uh, we struggle with the cash flow. So this probably um, help us to find the inefficiencies that we were facing uh, due to this cancellation process and how we charge back and how we manage these cancellations in order to to the to. Uh, give back the money to the to the clients. Uh, yeah, and this I think that thanks to the pandemic, we we highlight this. So our focus now is on changing this and and reducing these inefficiencies. And through these inefficiencies, reducing the manual cost and the cost uh, of the of the B two B payments as we have conceived in the past. I think that this is important now, and uh, through two innovations as virtual credit cards that we were we were talking about today, uh, we are talking about today, is because uh, thanks to virtual credit cards and this kind of innovations, uh, we are able to automatize processes and to reduce this manual effort for us to to process all these complicated ecosystem that is the payment between between companies and providers and the, the travel industry that we are a lot of players involved right now. Okay. And uh, Thomas, obviously at, at WorldPay, I'm sure you, you're on the other side of, uh, of a lot of what happened, especially the, what Pedro mentioned. I mean, if you could give us your thoughts on, on this topic as well. Yeah, so three points there. Obviously, cash flow was number one for us as well. And um, us sitting probably on the top end funnel of the cash flow, going through a travel agent and an airline, um, obviously uh, our customers were worried and, and want to make sure they get that cash as quickly as possible. The second point was on payment optimization and cost was one aspect, but optimizing payments can not only uh, reduce your costs, but it can also improve acceptance rates and it can improve conversion rates and, and new things like uh, pay now, uh, fly now, pay later. And, and, and these payment methods will stimulate growth. So it's not only about saving costs. 
And the third part was about the, the B2B costs and, and, and revenue. So for most of, or for one part of our customers, obviously virtual prepay cards um, were a revenue generator or, or a cost um, cover instrument because they obviously get um, a revenue share from the interchange that the airline pays um, as, as, as on the receiving end. So they too looked at the costs and, and uh, for, for a long time, there was a lot of pushback from the airlines, from our airline community uh, for those cards because it came uh, at a very high cost. Now, fortunately, there is more options for those virtual cards and, and different products that allow con different commercial models. And we see a lot of conversations between the airline community and the travel agency community to, to align themselves on the objectives. Why would they use those virtual cards? And, and there is benefits for, for all participants. And these new products uh, certainly allow um, a more balanced commercial model between the players. So. So the cost reduction is, is on, on, on both sides and the optimization, let's say, happened on both sides. And those conversations came um, to light again in, in this crisis situation last year. Okay, well, th thank you all for your initial thoughts. I mean, obviously, I think you've all sort of coinciding cash flow and optimization efficiencies um, and balancing and collaboration. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, certainly I think Hopefully we're, we're getting there and innovating and bringing that, that balance to the market, but obviously there's still lots, lots to do. Um, so great, so moving on, I think also another area that the, the report highlighted was the widespread recognition of the value that virtual cards as a technology can bring to the entire ecosystem, but surprisingly adoption is still low. Um, now we'd, we'd love to, well, we're going to run a few polls today. This will be the first um, that will come up shortly on screen. We'd like to get your thoughts on, on what you think is a barrier um, to using virtual cards today in the travel industry. So if we could please bring up the poll. Um, so the question is, what do you think is a barrier to using virtual cards? And I apologize, I'm going to read out each question because we are recording this for a podcast. So firstly, number one, declines for virtual cards are higher than with traditional cards. Number two, virtual cards acceptance and adoption is low, um, particularly on the acceptance side. Number three, card payments are slower to settle as acquirer hold funds for longer. Four, payment choice won't help reduce manual costs. And five, none of the above. <clears throat> so if we could ask you uh, listening in to please, this is a multiple choice question. So please click any that you think may apply. I do want to give uh, 15, 20 seconds to have a read through that. Click on, uh, on those questions. I'm just seeing now we've got about 36% of votes coming in. So keep clicking away. And we'll see what uh, what our audience thinks. Okay, I'll give it uh, ten more seconds. So we've got about sixty-five percent of the votes coming in. So I think we're two-thirds of the audience. I think we're we're probably good now to to close the poll and have a look at the results, if we could. Very good. So seventy-one percent. Uh, so a vast majority have indicated that one of the major barriers of adoption is virtual card acceptance. Um, with a long distance to number two around declining of virtual cards and, and the third uh, the third area is card payments are slower to settle uh, as acquire holding onto funds. So obviously the vast majority of you, the majority of, uh, of the audience coincide that virtual card acceptance is still low and that's holding back. Uh, and that's uh, perhaps holding back as a barrier to, to adopting virtual cards further. Um, so on that topic, um, I'd say I'd probably, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, so on that topic, I suppose, let's, let's continue on that theme of adoption um, and, and also just highlight some of the things that the report had called out, um, which is that over two-thirds of travel businesses using virtual cards uh, believe that they're beneficial to both travel agencies and suppliers. Um, but airlines are the most positive of the three groups that we had uh, interviewed with as many as three and four believing this to be the case. But obviously, adoption is still... Uh, is still low. So perhaps, uh, perhaps Pedro, if I, if I start with you, obviously as you know, representing Destiny as a leading European online travel agency that are using virtual, virtual cards today, why do you think adoption is still, is still low? Yeah, well, I think that the poll show us that the, the, the problem is that, as the main problem says, that the acceptance is low. But why this acceptance is low? probably is that the, the report highlighted is the misconceptions that probably among all the businesses we have, 
misconceptions due to the misinformation between the the how we manage this uh how how the the costs will increase uh for example is is one is one misconception that is this very standard i think uh, thomas talked about these when he says it's new innovations here and probably the businesses are still thinking that the the virtual card acceptance uh, it's generate a, a cost, uh, exit cost, but probably new new features that the, the brands are, are having new type of cards have reduced this. And this is important. This is an important point of view that we have to have into the consideration. Uh, also, the, the the idea that implementing this acceptance, the the adoption of virtual credit cards. Uh, from from an IT perspective, have a, a it, it supposed a lot of effort. That is, it's kind of true because you have to do an effort to to implement this. But after afterwards, you will reduce the 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 manual the manual cost of of, of uh, conciliation of payments, for example, how how you can manage these payments, and yeah, and also you you will. Uh, you will be able to reduce this manual cost uh, with one implementation to affect this. I understand that um, the the um, the airlines know much more than I mean they are more aware of this. They use more uh, and they accept more credit, virtual credit cards. But probably um, maybe we are at Destinia right now. We are increasing our uses of virtual credit cards with the hotel chains. And we are facing this problem. We are facing the problem that may, in the main main hotel chains don't accept or don't want to accept virtual credit cards because of the misconceptions that they have. And we are making an effort on our own, on our own to to explain this and to be able to 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 convince these these hotel chains to accept this payment method because uh, I think this is something very very important to to them and to us and then to all the to all the to all the players involved in the in the travel industry. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds like obviously you know, further education around the benefits is still required around the ecosystem and obviously that including the operational benefits, not just the not just the cost. Great, thank you, thank you, Pedro. Thomas, if I may turn to you next, I think one of the um, another area that the report sort of called out is these four common misconceptions that we've already sort of uh, alluded to earlier. Um, that are really present, preventing, I'd say, travel businesses from, from using virtual cards. And, and here I'm not just talking about travel entities, but all travel businesses. And one of the misconceptions is related to the, the perception that uh, card payments are slower to settle as acquirers are, are holding on for the funds uh, for longer. So obviously, Thomas, you have firsthand experience with this. How do you see this perception? Is it true or is it false? Yeah, well, obviously, uh, virtual cards fall into the same bucket as any other card settlement um, agreements that you have with your acquirer. So if you do have a whatever month-long settlement cycle with your acquirer, then obviously those cards will will also settle in a long month um, settlement timeframes. And, uh, and, and, and yes, I, I do understand when we have seen in the market um, a lot of players in the market who have extended even those settlement periods to cover the risks that they have. Um, but in our opinion, this should only be really the last resort. And there's a myriad of other ways to, to manage and balance that risk. And, and yes, we have a tool in place that allows us to pay on flown tickets, which allows us now to sign up startups, to sign up really young businesses that don't have that credit history, but that's not the normal case. Um, and, and yes, we, we, do, we do have, um, a cash deposit sometimes, we do have parental guarantees. There is there's a, there's a long range of, of tools that allow us to settle standard settlement times, but we're still covered. And, and, and in particular for the pandemic, um, we've seen that um, it's so important to keep those communications and conversations open between the airlines, our risk tool, our financial, um, our financial and, and finance and risk um, teams to ensure that they are aware of what's happening with you and your business. Where are you? What are your projections? Is it going up? Is it going down? How much is the government helping out? So keeping out, keeping up those conversations really helped us to leave the agreements in, in place that we, we had with, with most of the airlines. And, and it's funny, um, it was actually for a long time, it was the opposite. Um, the money was flowing backwards. So we were actually paying out more than, than we had sales. So, 
um, very quickly we had to establish processes where the airlines were paying us and, and we had huge outstanding amounts uh, over certain periods where especially state carriers, um, they had to find and build those processes to pay their acquirer. <laughs> and, and that was all in lockdown. So people weren't around to, to set up those processes. So, so um, I, I guess we, we, we've, we've worked through that with all the airlines and we've, we've maintained those relationships. So, so really, um, yes, I, I do understand where this, this misconception is coming from or this perception. And it does certainly apply to some, some airlines in, in their situations. But in general, I would say um, these cards fall into the same standard settlement agreements and they should be shorter than normal BSP cash cycle. Okay. Thank you, Thomas, for your thoughts. Um, so obviously, you know, there was, there are many mechanisms. I think obviously you touched on the communication and different mechanisms that, uh, that would allow funds to be settled sooner than, than BSP. So thank you for your, thank you for your insight. So maybe Kevin, if I turn to you next, um, I'd say another misconception that the report showed up was, Related to, to related to payment choice won't help reduce manual costs. Um, so I don't know, Kevin, what you'd like to, what do you think about this uh, misconception? You know, based on your experience with all the types of travel businesses, you know, paying and accepting with virtual cards that you see. Sure. <clears throat> so if I think back to the conversations prior to February 2020, I think these were very much focused on um, demystifying the costs of manual payments and really uncovering and highlighting some of the hidden costs um, that, that are associated with these. So, you know, they, they, they exposed, you know, a lot of the serious limitations around the, the kind of legacy uh, payment processes. But if we fast forward to now and, and throughout the pandemic, I think very few of the conversations now we have uh, our focus on costs. So they're more around uh, transparency and protection, which are the two main elements that we're, we're hearing today uh, from a lot of the partners we work with. Um, so if, you, if we just consider that, you know, a lot of the manual processes just aren't simply good enough um, today and the pace of digitization um, essentially will accelerate, uh, you know, the, the collective opportunity that's there in the travel industry. Um, and, you know, we've all learned the tough lessons. I think, you know, both Pedro and, and Thomas have, have uh, referenced before that the pandemic has brought about. But I guess, you know, just linking back to what um, you were saying before, Damien, around education, I think that's that's been key for us, um, educating the, the ecosystem on, um, you know, the, the, the cost of acceptance and, and really developing out, um, you know, a cost study and working with partners to help them understand that around, you know, things like the cost of capital and currency hedging costs and things like that. So, um, so yeah, so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's looking positive moving forward. Great. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you all for your thoughts. So it's now time for another poll, and we're going to talk about a little bit the, the multiple payment mechanisms that we've been mentioning. Um, obviously, we've been discussing a lot about virtual cards, but we'd also get, like to get your thoughts on, you know, what you think about virtual cards, but perhaps what you think about also alternative payment technologies. Um, so if we could please bring up the next poll, because we'd like to ask the audience again, I think this is a single choice question. Um, so to what extent does your organization intend to use virtual cards in the next six months? So we have five different options. So one is we use them already. We don't envisage any change. Two, we use them already and plan to increase our usage to other suppliers. Three, we don't use them and don't plan to, and plan to switch them on. Four, we plan to use alternative payment technologies other than virtual cards. And five, we don't plan to use them at all. So again, if you just click on one of those, so again, just recapping the question, to what extent does your organization intend to use virtual cards in the next six months? Okay, so I can see about 38% of the respondents have answered. So please click away. When we get to about uh, 60, we went to about two thirds, I think we'll, We'll have a look at the results. So let's give it another 10 to 15 seconds. A few more people hopefully clicking away. Okay, let's give it another 10 seconds. So to what extent does your organization intend to use virtual cards in the next six months? Okay, so I think we, I think it's time to look at the results. We can show up the results of the poll now, please. Right. So almost half of you on the call have 
indicated that you already use virtual cards and you plan to increase the usage to other suppliers um, in the next six months. Followed by, we plan to use alternative payment technologies. So I think they're very interesting results. And I think a little bit, uh, a little bit is, it's along the lines of what the research um, has indicated as well. Um, obviously, the, when we look at the research, also found a similar, um, a similar result that um, many, many interview or many interviewees found that or said they were going to or were planning to increase the use of virtual cards. But also, when we talk about multiple payment, or when we when we take a step back and think about the multiple payment mechanisms that we have uh, within the B two B payments industry, um, obviously, when we the research found that sixty five percent, sixty five percent of the respondents said they plan to move to multiple B2B payment mechanisms. And another 65% uh, talked about improving operational efficiency. So obviously there were the two key call-outs also in the research. Um, and at the same time, three quarters of respondents believe that virtual cards specifically can overcome the following three challenges. And this is in, I'd say, in, in, uh, in highest order in terms of the, the research findings. So number one is to provide greater data security. Number two is to decrease payment costs. And number three, the research also found that reducing loss from fraud. So in that, in that order, um, the research also found uh, value in virtual cards, particularly for those three, uh, particularly for those three years. Um, so perhaps, Pedro, if I may return to you just to look at, um, you know, to look at uh, that, that finding in the research, you know, what is, is this in line with what yourselves at Distini are seeing or thinking about? Well, yes, yes. Uh, we we regarding this. I mean, we 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 have these plans. I mean, we have been doing this. We use multiple payment methods already. We, but anyway, we are looking for new ones all the time in order to to improve our 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 systems and and our payment methods. And offer, uh, we can offer uh, probably the the what we were talking about about improvement in the operational processes uh, is is the 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 efficiency that we have to to achieve and um through these uh, new methods we can also uh, reduce this cost and as as Kevin was saying we improve the the fraud rate I think it's uh, this is in the line that we have we have to follow and because is this industry where we have like uh, very tight margins this kind of innovations and this kind of uh, improvement in our processes will generate uh, a, a revenue in terms of the, all these um, all these ideas that we are talking about here. Okay. Thank you, Pedro. Um, and Kev, if I may turn to you now, I think another finding in the research um, was that there is a real opportunity now to use virtual cards as a game changer in the way we do business in a, in a smarter, more efficient and collaborative way. Um, so Kevin, do you agree with that? I think I know the answer to that. And, and if so, why? <laughs> yeah, completely agree, Damien. Um, and if anybody isn't... Um, you know, familiar with the flow of, of kind of virtual cards. I think page five of the report actually has a good uh, diagram on there, which details the flow of, uh, of the transaction. But yeah, what I would say is that, you know, for almost um, a decade now, MasterCard has been pioneering the use of uh, virtual cards in the B2B um, travel space. Um, you know, they're a, they're a proven solution. And um, we reached a market size of $150 billion um, in 2018. But as we discussed a little bit earlier and talked about, you know, some of the reasons, some of the challenges that we were we were coming up against. I think, you know, virtual cards really do address some of the, the key um, elements that were highlighted in the report. So for me, they're, they're kind of four different areas. So, you know, shorter settlement periods and guaranteed payments, uh, the linkage between uh, the bookings and the payment that will ultimately simplify any, any kind of chargeback and refund process. Increased visibility um, over the payment flows and enhanced reconciliation, which I think Pedro was talking about before. And then again, the fraud reduction and the greater security um, throughout the payment flow. So um, I think, you know, yes, just going back to the question, Damien, yes, they will be, you know, they can be a game changer. And I think, you know, I touched a bit before on the, the MasterCard wholesale program. And, you know, we've got this set of flexible pricing tiers that leverages virtual card technology. And, you know, what that does is it encourages organizations to have that 
collaborative approach and those conversations to really build out a robust strategy together that focuses on commercial growth um, for all of the ecosystem. So it really is a positive move going forward. Okay, thank you, Kevin. And uh, Thomas, if I may change uh, topic slightly again, again, referencing one of the areas of the, uh, the findings of the report, which is around innovation and new B2B payment products. Um, and obviously it's, I'd say the conclusion is, is that this space is ripe for innovation as we discussed earlier. Um, so what do you think about this conclusion and, and, and also, you know, how do you think perhaps WorldPay, your, you know, your organization and other travel payment vendors can help um, travel businesses adapt and, and profit boosting payment strategy? Yeah, so sure, there's, there's definitely a wide range of technology available today that could be used for those B2B settlements. Um, for example, we've just launched um, RealNet, which is a, a global account-to-account -account payment system where you can, businesses can send money and receive money on a global scale using a lot of um, our own internal infrastructure, but also using um, direct banking and, and real net and real-time banking infrastructure in the various countries. So the technology is available and the price is certainly a lot cheaper than, than anything that, that we know today. Having said that, what, what is missing there is a crucial element is that, is that um, coverage in terms of risk uh, for the travel agents. Obviously, if you pay with the bank transfer, that, that money is gone. There's no chargeback uh, right if the service isn't provided. There's no claiming back that, that money, that money is gone. It's been a bank transfer and, it, and, and it, it, it's, it's out of your hands. Um, so, so looking at all these different technologies, I think we have to keep two things in mind. One is, um, are all these additional elements that the, the ecosystem needs, are they covered? Um, is reconciliation possible? Is, is, is a fraud um, covered? And, 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 and the biggest part is really that, that security, that guarantee that those virtual credit cards bring. And the second element is adoption. So, so it's, it's easy enough to implement new payment methods uh, on the consumer side where you just offer yet another payment method to, to your audience to get a little bit of a bigger market share or to increase conversion within a particular country. But from a B2B perspective, we have to ensure that there's enough buyers and, and suppliers that have adopted a particular technology for that to be um, significant in the industry, and 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 this 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 issue of adoption is 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 what we see right across everywhere when we try out new things, and that's the advantages of of those virtual cards because they can be used in a system that has been built some fifty years ago almost, uh, and and everybody has adopted them. Everybody can deal with with card numbers, and and it just works in 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 the consistent and, and in a consistent way. I do still think there is room for improvement and for change. And in particular, if you think about um, distributed ledger, um, smart contracts, um, digital tokens. So this is intelligent money and you can, you can create a contract around um, money, around those digital tokens that are in complete control when, when the value is exchanging hands. What happens if there's a cancellation and the value flips back? At all times, you know where the value is sitting, where the money is sitting, who is supposed to own the money in a particular situation or at a particular point in time, when is the value supposed to be transferred, and what are the rules in case of, of a dispute. And, 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 and I think there's, there's a lot of potential for this technology. And um, ourselves in WorldPay, we're, we're working on some ideas around, around this concept. And in particular for NDC and one order where there is payments is pretty still very much undefined in that space. Um, I really, really see room for, for innovation, room for disruptive technologies or, or complementary technologies that have the opportunity to grow and, and to provide just a next generation of, of payment ecosystem. Very good. Thank you, Thomas, for your thoughts. Without further ado, I think now it's time for a bit of Q&A. Hopefully you've all been typing your questions. If you haven't done so, please please uh, type away now. Esther, do we have any questions? Yes, we already have a couple of questions that have come in. And I do encourage the audience to continue sending us questions um, and raise your hand, so the yellow hand at the bottom of the screen in case you'd like to speak up with your question. So I'll read through what I have here. So. There's one question that I think would be addressed more to Kevin. So there's a lot of talk about alternative payment methods and how they are becoming more and more important in the B2C environment. 
How does the B2B environment leverage these advancements and, and keep up? Sure. So I think historically, um, yeah, absolutely. I think the, the, you know, the B2B payment space has always lagged behind the consumer space. And there's been lots of more, uh, there's been more innovation in the, in the consumer space. But I think now, you know, the B2B space is, is starting to pick up. And um, what I would say is that, you know, MasterCard is, is in the business of providing choice and we have a, a multi-rail payment strategy. So whether that's, um, you know, account to account that, that Thomas was talking a bit um, about before real-time payments and even cryptocurrency processing, I think these things can um, have, you know, uh, some, some good usage in, in the travel industry. But I think we just need to be mindful again, just going back to, you know, what protect, protection is provided of those and if those those methods are are fit for purpose, um, you know we we're really investing in um, in these types of new payment methods by you know acquiring companies like Finicity and Nets. Um, but knowing that the the travel ecosystem overall is complex and payments is complex as well, we just need to make sure that you know these new payment methods are are fit for purpose in the travel industry. Okay. Hey, Kevin, I don't know if anyone else would like to. Expand on, on these, or I'll go to the next question. I'll move on. Um, the next question I think would be addressed to you, uh, Thomas. The report, as part of the strategic recommendations for airlines and hotels, refers to exploring new models for working with acquirers. Uh, could you expand a bit more on this idea? I'm not sure what what this question is about, but let me try to find some answers. Um, as, as an acquirer, we, we have a lot of components of the ecosystem. And I would say even with virtual credit cards, we can provide a lot more than, than just acquiring those cards. So as FIS, we also provide um, virtual PP card issuing systems. We're working with partners on issuing those cards. We're working with Amadeus on, on issuing some of those programs. And putting the elements together and, and bringing all parties to the table, we're able to um, change the or, or, or influence the economic model and take um, give, give all parties more flexibility in how they want to structure that commercial model. Because being issuer and acquirer uh, allows us to, to be a lot more creative in terms of the commercial models, in terms of how much do we want to charge or how much does that cost to the airline and how much of that what we charge the airline is then going to the travel agents. We're, we're, we're even more creative and possible. It, it is more possible to, to work on those, those, those commercial models. So I would say the more parties are sitting around the table looking at the end-to-end -end flow, um, all the way from, from, from the consumer payment, where you can, there's, there's the issue about pre-funding, uh, where you can take the funds from the consumer payment, um, move them, fast track them to fund some of those virtual prepaid card accounts, and then move the money on through the ecosystem. Bring them all together on the table um, and work out what's the best way to move the money most efficiently and most cost efficiently, whilst maintaining, as we said before, maintaining that chargeback risk, um, reducing fraud as much as possible and, 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 and allowing both parties to reconcile those transactions as, as easily as possible. Okay, thank you, Thomas. There's another question here. Um, this person who's telling us that in their organization, they perceive that they have a disconnect between the pay-in and the payout strategy. And they're currently considering combining both into a unique strategy to help increase profitability. Um, is this something you would recommend? He's not addressing this to anyone in particular. I think it's just to the yeah. So, so Thomas, you've just mentioned this. Yeah. As I said before, it's it, it's vital because you need those funds um, that you receive from on the consumer side to then pay the distributors, pay pay your suppliers. Um, the airlines, for example, and, and if you want to issue a virtual card, the money needs to be on the account pretty much immediately because the airline will authorize against that card pretty much immediately. So there's a bit of a gun, uh, funding gap between when we as the acquirer take the funds that we receive from the consumer payment, uh, we pay that money then normally into the merchant's uh, bank account. But then it will take another day for, for the merchant to pay that money back into the prepaid card account. 
So, so there's already a, a day of delay that we can we can shortcut if if both teams would work together and instruct us as the merchant, uh, as the, sorry, the acquiring bank, instruct us to pay those funds straight into the pooled account, which which takes a day out of the equation. So, bringing them together is the best thing that an airline or or a travel company can do to optimize the system. Uh, Maybe instead of mayo, so sorry, I was going to just quickly mention as well. I mean. You know, Thomas is right that obviously looking at optimizing the way you pay out and obviously help being able to use some of the funds coming in um, can help. And I think another way we're exploring, and I totally agree with Thomas, that's certainly one way. Um, and another way we're currently exploring at Amadeus is at least for our agency partners where we where um, there is uh, incentives being produced when, when they're using the Amadeus GDS, how can also some of that be used in order to fund the payout piece? Um, so something we can do uniquely here at Amadeus that... Um, that typically is not available uh, from a standalone issuing product. So that's, it, they're just you know, different options available to customers to look at how do we make um, the funding inside a little bit more efficient. Okay, thank you. So indeed our audience are taking some good advice back home. Um, there's a question here that's more related to how virtual cards work in general. Uh, it's, are virtual cards prepaid or postpaid? It's, um... Maybe I can take that one as well. Instead, um, so virtual cards as a technology is, uh, you know, very similar to a plastic credit card. I'm sure we've all got in our wallets um, or now in Apple Pay uh, and, and Google Pay, except with no plastic. So, um, you know, 16-digit card number, expiry date, CVV, et cetera, et cetera, but there's no plastic. Now, how they're funded is completely different from the technology itself. So um, some virtual cards, depending on the banking partner um, that you work with, are prepaid. Uh, but some others can also attach a, a credit line uh, where you can use the card like a traditional credit card, use it today, pay back you know, next week or in 30 days time. So that a little bit depends on the payment terms. Um, so virtual cards per se can be either prepaid or can be uh, postpaid depending on, mainly depending on the banking partner um, uh, that you're working with. Okay. Thank you, Damien. And uh, another question, I think also mainly addressed to to Thomas, uh, an, an online travel agency is asking, so does an acquirer's risk exposure reduce if an OTA is using virtual cards to pay suppliers? It, it can. Um, for example, if, if we are um, acquiring um, for airline transactions and then we basically put the money into the pool account that does pay for those flights, then we kind of know that exposure has been paid and and it basically reduces our exposure because it is it, already been paid the supplier has been paid so if if you embed that reporting and set up that reporting and we're in control of the incoming and outgoing flows to the pool account and we can monitor that which is which is not easy to set up but not impossible then then yes um, it would certainly um, give more confidence to our uh, risk teams and, and, and would certainly have the opportunity to, to reduce um, any sort of um, exposure components that we ask. Okay, thank you, Thomas. So I'm, I'm conscious of time because I know we still need to have the wrap up uh, minute. So I think we'll uh, get back to you, Damien, to, to close the session. Okay, thank you all for your questions. Um, so look, before before we close, I'd, I'd just like perhaps ask uh, ask our panelists to uh, for a closing remark um, that you'd like to 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 have as a key takeaway of the of the research and the session that we've had today. So maybe Kevin, if I start with you. Yeah, sure. So for me, it's that um, the pandemic has really taught us that um, you know all of our futures are, are interlinked and that we all you know will either thrive or fail, fail together. So in order to thrive, there needs to be um, a robust B2B payment strategy, um, you know, where, where virtual card technology and other, other technologies are playing its part in laying the firm foundations of uh, both stabilization, but also growth for the future. Okay. Thank you, Kevin. Thomas? Yeah, certainly the B2B element of a payment uh, flow within an organization should and has to become part of the overall payment strategy. And it's vital to bring as many partners, as many entities that uh, provide you with payment services, bring them, bring them to the table and, and have somebody analyze the end-to-end -end flow. And I'm pretty sure you'll find uh, optimization potential there. 
um, talk to us, talk to talk to our relationship managers um, with 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 help for that as well. Very good. And uh, Pedro. Yes, well, in the line that the, my colleagues was saying, I think that uh, information about how these innovations could help uh, airlines, travel agencies, and hotel change is um, is quite important right now. We should we should be ensured that the information from the acquirers and the issuers goes through all the channels and all the players so they can understand how we can all benefit from this. So I think that it, events like this one, for example, help very much to, to agencies that are not using built for credit cards yet to understand how they can benefit from this and how they they need to uh, integrate this in their, in their payment strategy. So I will agree with my two colleagues that this is the main point. Very good. So thank you, Pedro. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Thomas, for the intriguing discussion today. Instead, I'll hand it over to you to, to close out. Thank you very much, uh, Damien. Thank you, Thomas, Pedro, Kevin, for this really thought-provoking and, and engaging discussion that we've had today. I've uh, really enjoyed it, and I hope that everyone who has listened to the Fireside Chat has enjoyed it as well. And thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. A big thank you to our panellists for contributing to this session. We hope you found it insightful. Just a reminder, you can dig into some of the topics we talked about on this session by downloading the accompanying research report. The link is available in the episode description. As mentioned at the start of this episode, this is actually part one of two. In our second episode, already available to listen to, we're joined by Damien once again, as well as Carsten Pedersen, CEO of Billets Contoret, as we dive into Amadeus's virtual card solution, B2B Wallet. The link to this episode is also available in the description. That's it for this episode. A big thank you to all of our panellists and we hope you tune in next time.